serious theology. I, I, I'm talking about sitting down, digging through, listening to what the Bible says and what the Bible means. The fact of the matter is, what it says is what it means, so you don't have to get those two mixed up. It means what it says, and it says what it means. But there's a lack of seriousness in taking what the Bible says these days. People want to hear stories. They want to hear little cliches. They want to write things down so they can post them on Facebook. I'm going to tell you all something. Listen, if you're not living it, don't post it on Facebook, please. Uh, I just know so many that do. Boy, they come out. Boy, they're just, you know what? You can't, look, you can't, you can't get them in a serious Bible study to save your life. They, they like the little, the little phrases and the little things that are kind of cute and they sound good and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, there is a lack of serious Bible study and teaching in our world today. Turn your television on. You'll be entertained. And there's also a lack of what one writer called a lack of serious exegesis, which basically means a verse-by-verse, word-by-verse. What does that mean? What's the context of that? What, what, was it, what was it I posted not very long ago? I can do all things through a text that's taken out of context. There's, there's a lack of serious, serious exegesis, serious verse-by-verse study. by Listen, folks, it's hard. I, it's like mining for gold. The failure of the church to evangelize. We, we put our signs out front and say, come on in, you lucky sinners, and get saved. fact of the matter is, they ain't. They're not. I know that's not good grammar, but they're not. We're not going to open those doors out there, and people that don't go to church, all 80% of them that live in our county who aren't in church this morning are not just going to come running in here. The intention of the gospel is to carry it out. It's to be carried out. And so we find ourselves in the middle of parachurch organizations and all kinds of things over here and things over there that are drawing our attention away and we're sending all of our money to it because somewhere along the line we feel like God's going to look at us and go, well, man, you know, we gave, we gave to that. God established the local church. That's God's plan for the world. Number four, a lack of general vigilance at the rise and the spread of apostasy. Which basically just says, listen, I don't care if they're your relatives, I don't care if they're your best friends. If, if they are teaching or believe something that's contrary to the Word of God, it becomes our responsibility in love to tell them the truth and to show them the truth. John Phillips says of this verse in verse 3, earnestly contend occurs only here in Scripture. It means to contend about an issue as a combatant. That scares the living daylights up to begin with. But listen to this. He, he talks about the, the, the adverb earnestly is added to convey the intensity of the verb. Earnestly contend. Listen to what he says. When great truths of Christianity are attacked, it is criminal to sit on the sidelines. I, I, I think he's probably correct. 
So let me just share some things with you as we, as we move through and hopefully give you an opportunity to, um, uh, to, to gain some confidence and, and, and to at least uh, plant your feet on some concrete. Write this verse down. Write, write, this, write this phrase down if you would. Here, you, want, you want a little something to post? Post this. Toleration of wrong. Toleration of wrong leads to wrong's establishment. Toleration of wrong leads to wrong's establishment. You say, well, Gary, how, how did all this happen? How did we get off track? We have tolerated it. Harry Ironside said, had men stood faithfully for the truth of the gospel, the dark ages would never have been known. Think, think about that for a minute. If men had have stood faithfully for the truth of the gospel, the dark ages would never have been known. Now, now here's the encouragement. Okay, I'm going to give you these. I'm, I'm going to throw them out to you pretty quick. Um, my, my, my motor was racing when I left this morning. It's going to be racing as soon as I get out of here. It's going to be racing this afternoon. So I try to get back for a funeral. So, so hang with me, okay? Let me, let, me give you these, let me give you these principles, these truths. Number one, he first talks about in verse 1 and 2, our position of freedom. Our position of freedom. Do you see what he says? That we are sanctified and called by God the Father and kept in Jesus Christ. And then may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude begins by reminding the church of what Jesus has done. That, that's where, listen, that's where we start. What has Jesus done? Has Jesus done anything for you? That's got to be a great question that we ask ourselves. His actions and what he has done for us has given us continual freedom. The church had been bombarded with lies about Jesus, the gospel message, and one's new identity in Christ. So Jude strikes out against it and calls it what it is. Truth always prevails, ladies and gentlemen. Always. Now here's what he calls us. He says that we are called. That word means to be invited. That word means to be summoned by God to an office. Or... Summoned by God to salvation. When you were saved, God called you. It wasn't some preacher during, during invitation time. It wasn't some preacher who brought an emotional plea. It was the Holy Spirit who spoke to your dead spirit, who awakened you to the possibility of salvation. God calls you. I don't call you. God saves you. I can't save you. So we are called. We are summoned. Listen, that ought to bring status into your life and into your thought. You are so special to God that he called you. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you he has made alive. Called. To be invited. We have been called. We have been extended an invitation by God himself. To be recipients of his salvation. To be his sons and daughters. To be his vessels to carry the gospel. But here's the key. We have, we have never been called based on our own merits or our own worth. We are called based on his merits and his worth. 
He's the one that's worthy. This calling causes us to interact with Jesus in a personal way. I, I was reading that phrase and I started singing, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and pains to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Person, this personal relationship. We are called into fellowship with Jesus. Now, I don't know how you feel about this statement. I'm just going to share it with you. Kind of, I had to sit and think this one through. The fellowship that the twelve had with Jesus was as important as his teachings to them. You could sit down in your New Testament and read all the words of Jesus in less than an hour. And yet he spent three years with this man. How how much do you think Jesus wants to fellowship with you? How much do you think that Jesus wants to have that intimate time with you? It's important. Listen, yes, his teachings are important. His teachings are there. It's in the gospel. But the fact of the matter is, one of the things that Paul writes about in Philippians is not only fellowship that we have with one another, but the fellowship that we have in the gospel. It's this coming together of salvation that brings us great fellowship. But it is around the gospel. The gospel that is preached and that men come to be saved through that. We are called. We are loved. It's an intimate kind of love that draws us into the presence of God. Think about that. A love that draws us into the presence of God. God draws us into his presence with his great love that he has for us. This is not, nor can it be, emotionalism. It is a reality of the incredible union that we have with God in Christ Jesus. Now, one writer said, and I think it's true, this love, this kind of love, the love that which God loves us with, is what ought to give us staying power in our daily Christian walk. Pretty good thought. That love gives us confidence and staying power. So, so it's like one of these ideas that we used to have. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I stayed out of a lot of trouble. Because of the great love my mom and dad had for me. And somewhere in our Christian life, you know what? We, we stay out of a lot of trouble. We don't do some things. We don't go some places. We don't say some things because of the great love that God has for us. And then we are kept. Kept. Think about that. For Preserved is the word that my translation uses. Some of yours use kept. Some of you use other words. But kept. It means to refrain from disposing. God does not throw his children away. It means to keep alive. It means to keep free from harm. It's the same word, really, that's used over in verse 24 of the same letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. Same word. We are kept. We are loved. That's God's gracious acts in the past. We are called God's gracious attitude to us in the present. Kept God's gracious promise for a wonderful future. And since we are called, and since we are loved, and since we are kept, we receive mercy, um, which God gives freely and God gives daily. We receive peace that God gives to our minds for the ability to sustain us through rough times. And we are given love. 
Just Look, just as a radar guides a plane, the love of God helps to lead us to our destination. So, so the benefits, you know, the, 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 the great truth, the great promise to put our feet on the ground is, listen, we are called, we are loved, we are kept. And along with that, we receive mercy and peace and love. But then he moves on in verse 3 and talks about the position of our faith. Here's what Jude reminds us of. Jude reminds us of, that we have something pretty simple. But sometimes we forget it. This common salvation. Now, I'm not a universalist. I I don't call it the universal church. I'll call it the global church. But the fact of the matter is, every believer today, every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ shares a common salvation. Every... Conversion experience is an Apostle Paul conversion, as far as I'm concerned. The greatest miracle of all is the salvation of a soul. And so, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's been times when I would have gone, look, man, I'd love to go to the hospital and heal all the children over there. I'd like to be in a place where Dead people are raised. I'd like to stop all hunger in the world. We're there. And we question a lot of times our faith because we say, well, we just can't do that. But the fact of the matter is that every time, every time someone walks the aisle and every time someone makes a move toward Jesus, makes a decision to follow Jesus, there's a resurrection that takes place. And, and when we start getting that in our minds, ladies and gentlemen, we'll start looking and longing and hoping for every Sunday to be a resurrection. By the way, we worship on Sunday. You know why? Because it's the day of resurrection. So this is Resurrection Sunday. This is Easter all over again every week. This, this, this position of our faith, all followers pass from death to life and are given eternal life through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Salvation and the way of salvation, listen, ladies and gentlemen, in the day in which we live, is not up for debate. Not among Christians. Not among us. I'm not going to talk to you about different ways to heaven. You're not going to convince me that I can go this way or that way or that way. I'm not. Don't talk to me about that. That is a non-negotiable. It is not up for debate, and it doesn't need to be updated to meet the needs of the culture that we live in. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Another truth he mentions is that true followers hold to a common confession of faith. You know what what a confession of faith is? Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. That's our common confession of faith. That is a non-negotiable, ladies and gentlemen. What are your non-negotiables? The virgin birth a non-negotiable? It better be. Uh, Jesus is God? That's a non-negotiable. Jesus Christ died for my sin? That's a non-negotiable. He was raised for my justification. That is, that's a non-negotiable. 
He's coming again for my glorification. That's a non-negotiable. Jude would say, listen, take those things that are your non-negotiables and contend for them. Don't, don't, don't move off the target. Don't, don't, don't move away from that. Faith is under constant attack, and many false teachers are leading Christians away from these truths. It just don't matter. Well, yes, it does matter. It absolutely matters. John Phillips tells a story one time of a little, of a lady who, a man who asked his pastor a question and said, well, say if, let's just say Jesus was growing up and um, his mother had baked some cookies. He loved good hot cookies. And so um, she had them out there and she had them for dinner, so she told but she told the young Jesus, now don't touch those. And this man said to this guy, he said, if Jesus had have eaten one of those cookies, what would it have mattered? And his answer was, it would have made all the difference in eternity. He would have disqualified himself from being my Savior because he was being disobedient. Just a little cookie, yes. Just a little cookie. Just, just a little act of disobedience. Doesn't matter. It does matter. It has eternal consequences. We are to contend for the faith. That means whatever opposes God's truth. The, the, the Greek phrase really, phrase really exemplifies a wrestling match. It's not something... I, I, I have these crazy pictures in my mind. And I, I pictured myself having a guy in a headlock this week going, no, it's not true. It's not. And you're, you're going to believe it. I'm not turning you loose until we get here. Con, it's a, you know, contend for the faith. Did you know the stand your ground law applies to the Christian faith too? Contend for the faith. He says it was delivered. And we're talking about the gospel here. The faith, the tenets of our faith, these things that are our non-negotiables, the things that the Bible calls non-negotiables. The, the word delivered there, that, that he, he talks about this faith that has been delivered once for all to the saints. It carries with the idea of being handed down, handed down something. God has handed down to us his truth. Okay? We are to guard it. We are to contend for it. We are to pass it on. God handing the truth. The truth comes from God. You know what? It's not my truth. If it were my truth, I would probably soften the blow a little bit on some of it. If it were my truth, then I, I'd kind of get off track because I, I kind of have empathy and sympathy and, and a soft heart for a lot of things, you know, for suffering. Uh, which, which really, at this point, as you're studying Revelation, it's like, man, there's going to be some horrible things happening to some folks in the end times. But that's his truth, that's not mine. And, and it, it, is, it is the rejection of that truth that brings that on, y'all. Contend, contend for the faith. It was delivered. It was handed down by God to us. And, he says, and it was once for all. It, it was once for all. Something that is author, authoritative and complete. It is complete and it is not influenced by individual personal feelings or agendas. There it is, folks. 
<laughs> there it is. Now, this is not the original. David did a study, you remember, not very long ago that talked about the variations in language and, and meaning and things like that. But the fact of the matter is, any way you cut it, what you've got in your hands right now is, I would say, 99% dead on with the original and the things that are have been changed with a word or with a phrase or, or a wrong punctuation mark or something like that has absolutely nothing to do with anything as it deals with your salvation and eternity. It's just, just semantics. I can't read Greek and Hebrew. I thank God that he's given us men who can translate this for. I get the sense of it. Listen, I get the sense of it, okay? I know some of you are going, well, you know what? Um, man, I really want to do God's will if I knew what God's will was. Well, let me, give you, let me just give you some help here. Do what you know is his will. And he'll give you the rest of it as you go. The fact of the matter is, is too many of us don't do what we know to do. We're worried about what we don't know because we think that lets us off the hook. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, we got to, you know, you got enough right here in John 3, 16. To bring yourself to salvation, everybody you know. To tell them the truth. God's truth has been handed down to us. It is once for all. It is something that is authoritative and is something that is complete. And then lastly of all, he talks about our position of focus, what we're seeing, what we're looking at. He really brings that up in verse 4. For there are some men who secretly crept, crept in. Crept in unnoticed. Now, I hope this is not you, but all of us know people like this. I, I suspect if we were, if I were to kind of just bring it down to its simplest form, it would be something like this. They speak the language. They wear the crosses. They attend the churches regularly. They know their Bible verses. Jude is warning us, don't take that at face value. Don't take that at face value. Well, Gary, well, how do we know? They're fruit. Are they bearing fruit? Well, what kind of fruit? Well, there's all kinds that are mentioned in Scripture. Praise of our lips is one. Winning people to Jesus is one. Souls. Good deeds don't point to our salvation, but they, they are an evidence that it's their service, serving. Uh, we're gonna see, you're going to see more and more and more. Let me just throw this out right now because I've talked about it before, and we're going to continue to talk about it. I'm, we're going to put it in your face before it's over with. But I have come to believe, and, and I think our staff now has come to believe, that when we're talking about this matter of, of being real and authentic, it's going to show up in four areas in our life. It's going to show up in our following Jesus, in our worship, in our serving, and in our sharing. Four things. We call that our roadmap. Following Jesus, it starts it always starts with following Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Are you worshiping Jesus? And by the way, not just here. Did you know every act, everything that you do, 
Everything you say, every place you go, your, your, even your attitude can be an act of worship. Worship is, a, is, is not a spectator sport by any means, but, but worship doesn't just happen one time a week either. Worship is brought forth from a life. From a life that's been changed, from a life that's 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 been renewed, and so there are several there are several ways to do that. But but some people do creep in. Anything said or implied or taught or embraced by a pastor, an evangelist, a TV personality, or your mama or your daddy that contradicts this book is false teaching. And people have crept in. There's going to be some people, I'm telling y'all, in the end times when the trumpet calls, they're going to be sorely disappointed. You remember, Jesus is going to say to some folks, I don't even know who you are. Well, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles. We did this. Listen. Working miracles and prophesying in the name of Jesus is not an authentication that you're saved. The devil's able to transform himself into an angel of light. He, he, he's a, the Antichrist, or I call him the fake Christ. What's it going to be? God's going to expose you. He's going to open you up. He's going to look at your heart. There's only one thing he's looking for. Blood of Jesus Christ. Has it been applied to your heart and into your life? That's it. But these men have have crept in. They pervert the grace of God. See what he says there? Listen, God's grace is not a license to keep on sinning. God's grace doesn't give us a license to get away with loose living. God's grace doesn't give us the privilege or the luxury of living our lives as if we're still in charge. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are a slave. You have bought out of slavery. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest pictures of this in the book of Hosea. Hosea. It was a picture that God was giving to the nation of Israel what they had done. Here's Hosea. Here's a man who married a woman who was unfaithful to him. And he would bring her home and she'd run off again. He'd bring her home, she'd run off again. And finally, she wound up in the slave market. Along the way, I think it's, I think it's a great statement along the way because there's, there's a portion there that says, even, even when you were living with your lover, It was me who was giving him what you needed to take care of you. It was me who was being gracious, not him. You know, you, you, know, you were giving him all the credit. Oh, he's taking care of me. Oh, he loves me. He doesn't know that behind the scenes I was slipping him money to make sure you were cared for. You see her as an old woman and she's used up. And she's out there on the slave market. They've got her marked down. 10% because nobody will buy her. She's so, so used up and so worn and so, and so sin uh, burdened. 
So sin bound, but they mark her down to 50% off. Nobody will buy her. They mark her down to 75% until they get to the point and say, man, if somebody will just take her, we'll give her to you. Hosea didn't pay 90% off. Hosea paid the full price. Folks, your salvation was not cheap. Jesus Christ paid the whole price. He shed all his blood for you. And he bought her back. And he brought her to his house. And she said to him, I don't know why you did that. I don't know why you expressed such unconditional love. I'll be your slave from now on. He said, that's not what I want. I want you to be my wife. Isn't it wonderful that when we come to Christ in salvation, he doesn't hold those things against us? I told our kids this morning, when I mess up, I had rather answer to Jesus is to answer some of my own friends. He, but these men, they, they pervert that grace. Think about, what, think about what it took for you to be saved. And then not only that, they denied Jesus Christ. The, the very one, the very one that died for them, they denied the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ, the denial, listen, the denial that Jesus Christ is Lord, the denial that Jesus Christ is God ought to fire us up. Because you're talking about the one that saved me. You're talking about the one that bought me. You're talking about the one that gave me eternal life. They denied Christ by their life. And here's the thing I think that ought to really move us. Many of us are sitting here this morning, and we haven't denied the Lord by our lives. We've lived that life. We've demonstrated the life. People have seen our actions. But they also deny Him by their lips. And not saying something, ladies and gentlemen, is saying something. They deny Jesus Christ. Do you, do you deny Jesus? Of all the things that sovereignty means, it is one thing certain. It means one thing certain. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you know what? We need to keep our life centered around Him. That's the Christian life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved. I, I, look, I, this, is, this was just a foundational statement to, to, to teach us the rest of the book. But the fact of the matter is, is that God's Word is powerful and it's active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. 
truth, truth is truth no matter where it comes from or no matter how it's presented. The truth of the matter is, for the non-believer, is Jesus is Lord. The truth for the believer is, there's a whole world out there that's going to deny that, stand up for it. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved and you want to be, here's what you do. You just, with your, the eyes of your heart opened, gazing upon him who died for you, who bled for you, who suffered for you, and look him in the eyes through the spiritual eyes of your heart and go, Lord, I believe. And I'm going to tell you what, salvation will come. It always does. That's the way it comes to all of us. Just open your heart to it. Open your mind to it. Open your thought to it. Lord, I believe. What must I do to do the work of God? Believe. Believe on the one that he sent. Salvation that easy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's easier than that. It's easier than that because sometimes the words don't even have to be articulated out loud. It just needs to be something in your mind and in your heart that goes, hmm, that's what I want. Okay, you got it. I don't want to, simpl- I don't want to oversimplify it, but the fact of the matter is, there's nobody sitting here this morning who has no excuse not to be saved. 